My name's Ross Chapman and I'm a product designer. I work at Etch, which is a user experience design consultancy, and I've made my first podcast. I've wanted to do a podcast for years, but I've always found a reason not to, uh, whether that be the format or who would I interview or what kind of kit I need. But I'm not about that anymore. I'm all about doing and learning. So here is the first episode. My first guest is a designer. He's a New York Times best-selling author of Sprint. That's right, it's Jake Knapp. I wanted to ask Jake what kind of person would be ideally suited to run a design sprint. Also, is there such a thing as taste when you come to curating and making decisions? And also ask him a bit about his new book, which is coming out later this year. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Please let me know in the comments and subscribe to get the next one that drops, whoever I decide or get. Jake, thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be the first guest on the podcast. (laughs) No worries. Uh, So you and I met at the uh, Design Sprint Workshop in Copenhagen, uh, which uh, was, was greeted with both awesome design sprint goodness and a chill factor of about minus three uh (laughs) yeah it was really cold it was really cold you know coming from california i'm just astonished there's it's pretty easy to make me cold but the the danish people we should point out were also cold like everyone was cold it was really cold i i uh one one of the things I wanted to do there, the the reason I I booked into the hotel that I did was you could hire bikes and I, I love riding bikes so I said yeah I'll, I'll take out a bike and they said sir you do know it's minus three degrees out there I said I'm fine <laughs> and I forgot a hat gloves scarf oh I, I didn't even have my winter boots and I said you know I, I've got to do this and went out crossed the bridge and. It pretty much started snowing. I had nothing. Like I, I kind of did a quick loop, came back, threw the bike down at the bike rack and said, yeah, I've done it now. But I, I then kind of wrapped myself warm and kind of didn't want to talk to anyone for an hour after that. Um. It, was, it, was, it was beyond invigorating. It was painfully cold, but... Um. But, but awesome. it was a good time. We were, we were warm inside. So yeah, good. yeah. No, that was cool. Um, so uh, you penned this amazing book and actually for me you um, you signed it as well which oh yeah yeah that's totally right lovely. yeah bearing in mind it was one of the kind of five <laughs> books that i plonked on your uh, your lap <laughs> but um everyone in the in the studio loves it so thank you for doing that so i wanted oh, yeah. to find out from you um kind of so i i picked this up last year and I went on summer holiday and kind of took that and a few other books. And this is the one that I didn't put down for a good solid four or five hours. Uh, I pretty much read it cover to cover. And I just wanted to ask you kind of to start, how does it feel like to have written a book on how I want to work going forwards? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored, you know, and I'm, I'm a little bit, um, I'm surprised that, that it's, that it's been as, as meaningful to people as it, as it has been. I think that it's, um, 
I can sort of look look back on it and look back on what was going on in my career and in my life and everything and kind of see in retrospect why it's unusual and why I, you know, had an unusual set of opportunities and, and, and why my perspective was maybe a little different, but it's also a lot of it is just being in the right place at the right time. And so I'm, I really feel like just honored and super happy when I hear that it's been useful to somebody and, and grateful for all of the people who, who wrote books and shared techniques and things with me. Um, because of course that book didn't come out of nowhere that's built on top of lots and lots of great ideas and lots of learnings that I got from other people and lots of contributions from other folks that went into even to, you know, to writing that book. And so, um, so yeah, I'll just try to deflect as much of that as possible, but it's, <laughs> it's super cool. And I'm, and I'm stoked to hear it because I do think it's a really good way to work. Yeah. I mean, ha- have you found any examples of people using the design sprint that you were like, wow, I did not think of using it that way? Actually, for, for new people, why don't you explain a bit about what the design sprint is all about? The, the, oh, yeah, the Jake sure. Knapp official version of what is it and what is it good for? Right. This is episode one. This is like the Phantom Menace I, I, of I the podcast. This. So I, we I've, have spent, to... <laughs> I've spent three hours trying to prepare and I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm good at this. <laughs> well, yeah, that's okay. I mean, you can always redo the intro later, but <laughs> I, um, I, yeah, the, the, the design sprint is quite simply, it's like a five day process for teams and it uses elements of design thinking. It uses elements of just behavioral psychology and good like team decision-making practices. But fundamentally it's a, it's a problem solving exercise. And so a team will bring in a big problem. This is a small team, five to seven people and follow a, a checklist, a recipe of activities over the course of five days to decide what's the most important part of the problem come up with competing solutions to it, choose the strongest of those solutions, and then build a prototype and test it with target customers. And what happens is that you get deeper into the problem. You're able to put aside, shut off email, shut off computers, shut off the normal reaction mode that we're in in the office and get into this highly effective mode where it's it's really hard work, but really fun and teams just make radical progress. So that's, yeah, that's what a design sprint is kind of in a, a slightly large nutshell, a walnut yeah. shell, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And and we've been using it for the, we've, we've done about nine or 10 uh, design sprints. We've got a few more um, books up in, in the next coming months. Uh, awesome. And awesome. I, 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 just, I can't wait until those weeks kind of land. I'm like, and any other thing, yeah. I'm like, yeah, this is great. But because there's so much purpose behind the design sprint and knowing that you can go from nothing to, to something in just a few days uh, is, is certainly how I want to work as a product and UX designer. I do find the education part of things with the other members of the team, like the decision maker, and, and because we're in an agency setting, we're working with partners, you do have to kind of say, yes, this is an intensive yeah, piece of work. Yeah. And, you know, that, that check-in at nine that you usually do, that stand-up, um, that one-to-one. For this week, you're just going to have to kind of put that to one yeah. side. And, um, and yeah, it's. I, I think that's what's so, so far the partners that we've been working with have followed it and they've got great kind of results at the end. 
some some of the feedback we've had is, um, you know, you, you worked us really hard, but I'm so glad that we did that. And and yeah, you know, yeah, that yeah. Isn't, isn't isn't work about doing the best that you can within the time. Yeah, and I think that the the part that's hard about it usually is not, I think the word sprint in some ways it's unfortunate and there's, there's sort of a reason why I named it what I named it in the beginning, but uh, which we can go into, but I won't bore you with it now. But I, I think that it's a bit unfortunate because sometimes people think it's all about speed and speed is an important part. I think that having a deadline, having a forcing function, not spending too long and making our ideas too precious is really important. But the, the part that's hard about it is actually getting really deeply into one problem set and actually being able to think really deeply and do focused work. And a lot of the time, I think the way we work where we're bouncing between our email and, and a meeting and, you know, maybe Facebook and a meeting and the web and a meeting or something, yeah. or at least that's the way I work, but, <laughs> but like that, that mode of, of working is, it, it, you're shallow, you know, most of the time you, you're not digging in deep and digging in deep is hard. And it's like a, it's like a, a muscle that you have to, to, to flex and strengthen. And when you get into a design sprint, it's, it is hard work, but it's really satisfying work because it's the whole thing that matters. It's like, you're working yeah. on the stuff that actually matters. The whole reason why you have those meetings and answer those emails, it's in service of some bigger thing. And in the sprint, you're doing that thing, but it turns out doing that thing, it, it is hard, but it's like, it's so satisfying. And that's, I think what, what made it for me, like it was the best of work. It was like trying to recreate those weeks when I felt like, God, this is, this has been a really hard, but super satisfying week. I made a lot of progress. What was going on and trying to like, you know, examine how those weeks came together, what the elements were and sort of reproduce them. Yeah. And, and some of the designers that I I've talked to and they, they've done the sprint as well. They, they, they question the, the um, the difference and, and you, blogged about it recently about this kind of getting started versus idealism and and perfectionism and i just wanted to know and and you wrote a recent blog post about that yeah how how have you found to best explain that you know good is good enough and we've got to keep the tempo because yeah speed is important but you've got to do the good work and that's why i think those exercises and by the way the the way that you explain it in plain English is is so useful because consider the map. Uh, some people would call that a user journey. Some people would call that the, the customer journey. And they'd use words that some people wouldn't have heard of before. And you've, yeah, you've yeah. started to kind of de-jargon the, the way we work, which, you know, is, is awesome. You know, I'm, I'm starting to say, let's do a map. And people can kind of figure out that you start at the left and you go to the right. And yeah, yeah, there's a destination, yeah. you know. There's, um, <laughs> and with user journeys, when, when you ask, uh, uh, and I've done in, in the past, oh, if you got the user journey, they're like, oh, I don't know, give me a few more hours, maybe I'll find one. And right. that, that's what I like about the, the, the sprint book. It's, it's saying, here are the exercises. Um, you, you kind of fill the gaps, but we're asking you to fill the gaps well and, um, and, and kind of get to that point where, because there is an onboarding, you, you have to do it a few times to kind of get conversant in it. Uh, but it's done in plain English, which, you know, I, I think I is think a great I think it's important. Asset. 
Yeah, I think it's important. I think that a lot of design talk often, honestly, gets fancy pants. Designers are a little bit fancy pants, you know, and they, yeah. they like to they like to use big. I mean, everybody kind of likes to use big words, and we if you work with people who use the same vocabulary, then it's hard not to. It's hard not to use those those terms and acronyms and, oh, and yeah. fancy business words, but it it does start to shroud the true meaning of things, and it also limits who you can work with and what you can do. And I think if everything is uh, sort of wrapped up in complex language, it's, it can create problems. And mm-hmm. I've, I've seen it limit designers because it's a turnoff to other folks on the team who say like, like, what are you talking about? You know, it starts to sound like kind of like, you know, baloney. They don't, they just don't, they don't, they don't believe in it. And you, not, I'm not, not to say that customer journey map. I mean, that's actually, that's pretty, that's pretty plain English, but it is a specific kind of thing. And so uh-huh. you're right. There's also an element of like, look, what's the most basic thing we can do. And I'm also guilty of like giving things names, you know, like in the, in the sprint, we have like lightning demos and we have, um, you know, like a battle Royale or, or the rumble when we yeah, have, yeah. you know, a couple things that compete with each other. So I, I get it, but I think that we, you have to be careful if you give something a name to, to not make it sound fancy, to not make it sound like, like let it stand up on its own merits. And yeah. I do think that plain language can be very, very powerful. Um, but you also got to know what you're talking about. Sometimes I guess what happens is fancy language becomes a mask for like trying to pretend, you know, what you're talking about. And with plain language, you can tell. Yeah, <laughs> you can tell yeah. Knows or not. Well, I, um, I, I've certainly had a, a, a few, you know, past experiences uh, outside of agency work where, you know, someone around the table will, will say something, and everyone's like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then if you kind of unpick it a bit, then yeah. they don't know. They don't um, know. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, yeah, and I like. I've certainly felt like coming into doing work in software. I was like, I didn't know what I was doing, and when people used fancy terms, and I was like, oh, gee, like I would, I would be one of those people going, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, like a turbo encabulator. I know what that is, <laughs> and then you know, like, like, and then inside, I'm like, oh my god, like, what is that? And trying to pick up context clues from the conversation, and. Uh, yeah. Anyway, it's it's helpful. I think if if you can speak plainly, it it definitely helps, and it can. I think it can actually give folks whether whether you're a, a designer working with engineers, or whether you're a product manager working with designers, or whether you're you know a, a salesperson. I mean, whoever you are working with, like people who don't share the same work day that you do. Yeah. If you can use plain language, you start to be able to to work with more and more people. I mean, it's like learning someone else's language, you know, and traveling to another country. Like you can, you you just have more places you can go and more things that you can get done. So it's, it's important to, to try to strip away. And I often think that even the exercise of like thinking through, what are we doing? How do we explain this to somebody else? Mm. And how do we make that language simple and short uh, is a really good exercise. Like it helps you understand what you're doing better if you can say it without a fancy word but yeah here i've used a lot of a lot of words to describe (laughs) that so i should i should switch your other question was a really good one about about speed and and actually be when 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 do you do the work that is careful deliberate work that that's required for high quality and when is when does that become an obstacle and I, i think that the the sprint the 
you know, earlier we talked about the speed of the sprint and how a sprint is hard work. And the speed is, is really meant to help you let go of perfection. Like that's one of the biggest things. It also allows the team to hold a lot in their short-term memory so they can do deeper work. But it's, it's largely for me as a designer, I realized that when I didn't have forever or when I didn't even have, you know, weeks and months or, or just an, an endless amount of time to work on something like my first well thought through solution was was really pretty good. And I would learn much more from putting that solution in front of customers than I would from continuing to perfect and refine. But what would happen if I continued to perfect and refine is I'd start selling my teammates on it and I would become really emotionally attached to it. And pretty soon we're all attached to it emotionally or we just feel like we're committed to it and it becomes much harder to learn from, from talking to an outsider. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, you're right. I wrote a post about this recently because on, on our podcast, we interviewed Jason Freed, who's the founder of Basecamp and has written a few books that I really admire that, um, like rework and, yeah, yeah. um, getting real, which was sort of a, the, the, the original form of, of rework, um, which I read really early in my career. And it was, a it was like super inspiring to me and, and he was talking about how important it is to to get things out in the world fast and how when he writes a blog post he just says i'm just going to spend 15 or 20 minutes and then that's it i'm going to publish it and if i get it wrong you know whatever and it's sort of easy for him to say because he's an amazing writer and he has tons of practice and as a ceo he's been running this company for 20 years and he's like he he's excellent he's one of the the top product people i feel like in in the world so you know like you have to take it with a grain of salt but there's a great lesson in there, which is that when you wait too long, when you stew on things too long and second guess yourself that you sometimes lose, I think you lose authenticity. You can lose the heart of whatever it is, whether it's the design for your product, whether it's the idea for your business, whether it's the, the, the heart of the idea or the argument you want to make in a blog post. Hmm. And you know, it's, it's kind of nice sometimes to live life in, in one take and see what happens and then try to clean up afterwards if you screw up you know and like we're doing and jason made the point in our podcast and i'll make it now like you and i are doing a uh a, a, you know an interview now in one take and like if we screw up if i say something embarrassing like hey you know hey it's out there whatever people will listen to it maybe they'll make fun of me they'll probably forget sooner or later yeah. it's a really interesting point and it's an interesting perspective that can apply to all kinds of things yeah i i've uh, what what I, I I think when we started doing the the design sprints the 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 one it, it wasn't the first or the second day that that kind of caught us unawares it was the prototyping day and uh, sometimes you know we would traditionally take a few more days to kind of perfect that prototype yeah, get yeah. that sign off and all that kind of stuff mm. and what it does do is kind of hone in on exactly. The, first of all, the kind of smallest form of that prototype, and then you can just revisit it and, and kind of improve that. And also in the lens of, of testing it the next day. So it doesn't need to be perfect. And actually on, on a recent design sprint, we kind of said, look, we know you've got brand guidelines. We'll look at that like afterwards. We're just testing <laughs> yeah. the idea. And yeah. you know, we could yeah. burn hours just making sure all the 
colors are right and all the alignment yeah. and your tone of voice is correct. But for now, we're just going to get this as close as we can be because we've got a deadline. And that, that's, that's kind of what I like about it is you have a fixed deadline and you just work up to that. And you don't have time to investigate this avenue or that avenue. And, um, and if you do want to do it, like you say, put it on a post-it, put it on the wall. And yeah, you might revisit, revisit it, but actually right. you know, the, the, the test is, is the kind of, you can continue or you need to, you know, start again. And, um, yeah, I, I like that every week we've got a different project to solve, um, a different problem to solve. Uh, so, you know, that, that's, that's my take on it. I think. Yeah. As, as you, as you go through that, that, um, process of on Thursday trying to get the prototype ready it is very interesting how real you can make something in a day like mm-hmm. how you can get to if you have a tight scope and you do and you have well planned out what you're going to make and you do because in the sprint previously you've done that on on Tuesday and, and Wednesday so you get to Thursday you got one day to make a prototype it's got to be realistic because part of the whole philosophy of the sprint is we're not going to show people a wireframe or like a paper prototype um, which I hate uh, we're going to show people a a realistic thing that they can react to honestly so that we can believe what they say. Yeah. And we're only going to believe it if it looks realistic and if we trust that this is a good simulation of what it would be like if we launched. And that's that's like kind of a, a big mindset shift. It was certainly for me when I first started doing this and was trying to figure out how to make the best use of a week, how to best start a big project. And I've seen it for a lot of teams. It's like this mindset shift of like, oh, we're used to making making things perfect. We're not used to throwing things away, but if you decide we're going to throw things away and you start with that foundation from earlier in the sprint, it's actually, it's, it's quite plausible to, as you say, make something that like, maybe it doesn't perfectly match the brand guidelines, but it like to the, to the like unaided human eye, it's going to look like a real thing. It's going to look like it came from that brand. You know, it's going to look like real enough and you'll be able to catch the things that aren't quite right but getting from zero to 90 percent can take a day and then getting from like 90 percent to like 100 percent, it might take weeks or months like that that extra 10 percent, it's important and it's very hard to do but uh but i think that letting go of that like that expectation of perfection is really important in all kinds of things. Definitely. And I, I realized you said Thursday. So we run the four day. <laughs> oh, you, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, not, not for any other reason, but um, uh, on, on Fridays at Etch, we finish at three o'clock just so we can kind of start the the weekend earlier um yeah but when when i started bringing the design sprint in into the agency i was like well you know friday we could probably review and maybe kind of uh send over handover notes and things like that but really for the focus we're, we're gonna just do it in in the four days um but yeah it, it the, the the prototyping stage as a designer you you and which i am you kind of think oh you know it's I, I know it's not the real thing. And, and you're like, they're going to start trying to click this button and fill yeah, this form yeah. in and stuff. And actually, sometimes they don't. And and they're actually way more forgiving than we give people credit for. You know, that so, some of the testing scenarios, I've said some things won't work and that's okay. And we just want to see how you behave with this thing that we're putting in front of you. And you know that that you, you kind of have to brush off the the designer kind of perfection kind of 
uh, thing about totally. you and just go, You know, it's hey, like if you... If you've ever watched a movie recently that's like, you know, like a pretty good movie, but not great. Like there's maybe there's moments in the movie where you're kind of like rolling your eyes. <laughs> Movies are a great, a great like metaphor parallel of the, the prototype. Because when you watch a movie, you have this suspension of disbelief. Like you're watching and you're like, you're in it, you know, you're like experiencing this person's life or like this like story or whatever. And, you know, of course it's not realistic a lot of the time, but it doesn't matter because if the movie's well done, then you get, you get drawn into it and you believe, you believe. But then if something breaks, like if something is like too unbelievable, a line of dialogue is wooden or a special effect is like too over the top or, you know, a plot, there's a whole, something in the plot. Just like, I wouldn't believe that that character would do that. When something like that happens, it breaks and you're like, oh God, you know, and you might say to the person next to you, I can't believe I would make fun of the line or whatever it is. But then you, you know, normally we get drawn back into the movie. We get, we get pulled back in and, you know, we're ready to, we're ready to, to believe again very quickly, even after a stumble. And unless the movie is horrible, like that's the case. Now, if you've ever watched like a making of uh, part, like a special feature, you know, that comes often with, uh, with movies or they used to, and movies were on DVD instead of just streaming. <laughs> And they show like the storyboard. I don't know if you've ever watched this, but sometimes they show the storyboard yeah. and it's like, it's like the, uh, like they drew the frame and then they'll, maybe they'll even be doing like voiceover, like talking about it or have music, but it'll be like frame. And it's just like a one frame per, you know, maybe per second, but maybe more like every four seconds. And you just can't really get into the story in the same way. It's just not the same thing. And this is like the difference between the kind of prototype that we build in the sprint. It's like, it's like a, a, a good movie, but not like a, not maybe not Academy Award winning. Like it's going to have some lines of dialogue that are bad or some holes in the plot, but the audience will still be in it. They'll still forgive us. They'll still, they'll still, you know, want to believe that this is reality. And when something doesn't work, they're going to try to recover from it. Now, a paper prototype or a wireframe, that's more like showing the special making of thing where you're just showing the, you know, the, the storyboards every few seconds and it's, you can't get into it in the same way, but yeah, you're totally, that's a really roundabout way of saying you're totally right. People are forgiving. Like something will not work. They'll be like, Oh, and they'll realize that they the spell will be broken. They'll realize they're in a prototype, but in another moment they will be back in the zone and they'll be back believing it. And the simulation will recover. And that's, that's really what you what you get because then you get to sort of see the future in a, in a little bit of yeah. a, a peek at the future. Yeah, no, I I, I, I totally agree. Uh, I, I was penning a, a post uh, yesterday about ideal icebreakers, which <laughs> well, I remember in the workshop you said, "Oh, we you know icebreakers are kind of corny, but you know let's do this thing," and <laughs> yeah. then you're like, "Ah, you just did an icebreaker." <laughs> um, so <laughs> I. Do you have any other examples of icebreakers that you've found to be really awesome? Because there's only so many times I can teach people to high five. And, you know, that, right. that, that works for well, me. Well, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it, I don't like starting with an icebreaker. And I also don't want to give up any time because I know that by the end of the day on Monday, I'm going to want to have all the minutes that I can. Yeah, yeah. And, and then I also know that from doing these sprints that the ice eventually breaks on its own. Like, you know, people talk, they get into doing the activities, doing the work. And there's never like the, you know, Monday afternoon or Tuesday, there's not this like awkward, like, Oh, we haven't met. I mean, it's only five or seven people. Like it just kind of comes together. And yeah. I feel like in, a, in an okay way. Um, 
But, but, but I have talked to a lot of folks since this came out and I, I found a lot of people are like, no, you know, in this situation that I'm in or just for me personally, like they're more comfortable with, with starting off with an icebreaker. I mean, maybe they're just less awkward than I am and they can sell it better. You know, there's all kinds of reasons why it might work for somebody. Yeah, um, I was, uh, I don't have them. I don't have any favorites. I just skip it. I'm just like, we're just starting. We're going to do introductions. So say your name and just tell us like what your, what your role is in like two words. And I write a map on the board so I can see where everybody is sitting and I can see their names. And I tell people, I'll probably forget your name but I'm going to look at this and like, yeah. if you see me look at this and then look at you, then I'm like remembering your name. That's and, and then I, um, uh, yeah, my, actually that's from my friend, uh, John Zeratsky, my co-author. He came up with that and it's brilliant. It works. It's like, it's really nice. You can just be really honest about the, the, the name struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's there and everybody can see it, which actually a lot, if you have a mixed team, it's helpful. A lot of times, actually not everybody on the team, even if from the same company will know each other's names. Yeah. So, and then they can see our names too, which is nice, but that's it. You know, then we'll just get going. And I find that works for me, but it may not work for everybody. I actually on that, uh, I, I found in previous kind of meetings and workshops that when you do say, Hey, should we introduce each other? You've lost 30 minutes like easily yes. like yeah. you, you actually go around the table and you stop and then oh my god someone, it's the worst someone decides and to go off this tangent and you're like oh, okay man. well we kind of wanted to do this but yeah hey, we're here and it's brutal actually to be in that in around that table knowing that when it's a big activity when like oh tell us you know your background or tell us about yourself and you're like especially like if it's free form and long and you're like trying to think what am i gonna say and it's like coming closer and closer you're not listening to what the other people are saying you're just like oh god they're talking really loud and good i have time to think and or or they're writing down everyone's names they're going ah chris yes chris so they're not actually listening they're like i'm doing my homework now (laughs) totally so i do think that there's i'm sure there's like a good way to do a short maybe note and vote which is another like silly name that i give an activity but um where everybody jots something down and then shares it but they should totally vote on each other's names like yes yeah who has the best name yeah yeah Yeah. whose whose name wins and then everybody the rest of the week has to have that name like we're all we're all ross this week (laughs) it should be super confusing but yeah. <laughs> awesome. I, I have one last kind of key question and then I want to talk about what's next for you. And yeah, um, sure. cause, cause I know you're, you're writing, I know you don't want to use the author title yet, but you know, that, that, <laughs> yeah. that black circular badge on the top of new sprint books kind of dictates that maybe you've, you've hit that. Um, <laughs> so I, I wanted to briefly ask you the, the subject of taste. So I know that some of the design sprints work and I, I've seen some kind of job ads like uh, I'm a design sprint master and you know I, I'm, I'm this that or the other and it's like creating this whole I find it noise but it, it, it what I'm keen to know is do you find that the, the best kind of facilitators are ones that have had a a bit of life experience or they, they, they look at the right things like all good designers should. Uh, and how, how do you think taste plays a part in, in running a design sprint? Because you, you go through and you fill in the, the, the exercises and you do it, but there is a part where you have to kind of curate and, and choose and decide. And I, I, I feel like 
you know, the more kind of diverse and, and different aspects and different kind of backgrounds of people that are in the room make for a really interesting kind of uh, design sprint and, and ultimately a, a prototype and, and that kind of thing. Do you have anything to say on, on how taste plays a part in, in the design sprint? Yeah, that's an interesting that's an interesting question. That's one I kind of have to think about. I'll think out loud. I don't, I think that one of the real strengths of the design sprint has been that it's, it's very robust. It, it is hard to mess it up. So if you follow that recipe at a company, if you're a, in the position that you can get your team to clear their calendar for a week and come together. That's really, there's the big challenge. Do we, do we have some, a problem and do we have a willingness on the team to experiment with this process come into the room and follow the, the checklist? If you follow the checklist, you can be a very imperfect facilitator. You can be, you know, uh, you can have a lot of things not go so well for you, but if your team is willing to follow along and they're willing to give you like the benefit of the doubt to, and know that your job is following those steps, the sprint will work. And I hear a lot of stories from people saying like, I was really nervous and you know, it would like, but it worked like we learned from it and it was like, it was a good experience. And I don't, it's, it is very rare for me to hear we did it and it didn't work. And when it didn't work, it's usually for one of these key things like the, you know, we had to split it up over a bunch of days and the decision maker wasn't involved or people weren't committed to being in the room the whole time, you know, things like that, that you would expect or things that we talk about in the book being sort of the, the ways it can fail. Mm. So Okay. So on this, on this one side, on like the baseline, it's like, if you follow the steps, you could be non-expert and you could still get a good, a good outcome. I mean, probably nobody's going to be in that situation unless they're, they have some credence on the team. You know, nobody's going to like give the reins for a week to, you know, an intern to maybe, maybe like a super, I don't mean to diss interns, but maybe like a really like, you know, like dynamic, uh, with some natural leadership skills intern would be in that situation. But usually it's going to be somebody who has a bit of experience who's been on the team for a while who, who has that situation, but you don't have to be an expert facilitator. However, on the other end of the spectrum, there is like the sprint is an opportunity for, there's an opportunity for a facilitator to help a lot and to provide sort of some product guidance or some guidance to the team as you go through. And this is where having an outside facilitator is like this big kind of turbo boost or like it, it really augments what the team can do because an outsider will have fresh eyes on the problem. And if that outsider also has a lot of expertise, if they've built products in the past, if they've consulted with businesses, whatever, if they've like seen these things over and over again, that's where you start to see that repetitions and like, as you're putting it, life experience really starts to pay off. So if I've seen a lot of different things, and this is when I was working with Google Ventures, I mean, a lot of my job was to come in the room and be an outsider ask stupid questions about why they were doing things. Like, I don't know. Like, I haven't been here. Can you explain why this works? And then try to at sometimes like apply, synthesize my outside experience building products or my experience working with other companies and say, okay, I think that when we make the map, I think that this would make sense, you know, or I think that I'm going to suggest, although decider, like it's in your hands to choose the target. Mm. Uh, my recommendation is that you look in this area because based on what y'all are saying, it seems like 
blah, 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 you know, or maybe you write a sprint question or two, and maybe you're able to write a really good one because you have that outside expertise. However, the, the facilitator has a limited amount of influence that they're going to uh, be able to put on the process because it's up to the decider and Mm. it's down to the people with the subject matter expertise who are in the room to really come up with a lot of the content. So I think that, you know, a facilitator in combination with a really strong designer or product person who's also able to sketch a strong solution and, you know, maybe also um, help out with the storyboard, which is another really key area where it's going to work, but you can level it up by having expertise. Mm building the prototype. There's a lot of different places where a facilitator interpreting the customer interviews can really help. Um, so it's like, it's hard to break, but somebody with a lot of, a lot of experience and expertise as an outsider can make it amazing. I think, yeah. uh, at least I'd like to think so. I'd like to think there's still some value in, <laughs> yeah. in having it experience yeah definitely and and i guess that that question comes from uh we have good links with the local university here and some of the students i know are picking up the book and going oh yeah i I know that you know you're you're talking about it a lot and i'll I'll read it as well and i the, the people that are doing design sprints that i'm aware of only through twitter or linkedin they they have had a few years experience and i haven't seen I don't know whether there's a situation where, you know, someone can just pick up the book and just go for it. And I'd like to think that there is. I, I'd like to reduce the barriers to doing, you know, good design and yeah, carrying yeah. that forward. Well, I think the hope is that people won't have to spend all the years that it took me to realize that those are the steps I should do at the start of a project. Hopefully they won't have to spend, you know, 15 years coming to that conclusion. And if they can start there, if they can start with like, with the benefit of, of all of my time and our time and the people who came up with things that I was able to build on and I didn't have to think through for myself, then yeah, you, I mean, you hope you could just give people a head start and they can, they cannot have to go through all the stuff you went through and they can just skip it. And then they'll go on to do things like way better than what I could do. Um, but maybe they, you know, they, they just like, it's like a save point in a video game. It's like, I already got to, I got through the, the, you know, I got through like, I can only think of Mario brothers, but like <laughs> I got through world one, one, I got, you can't save in the Mario brothers that I used to play anyway, the yeah. old Nintendo. Uh, but you know, like I, okay, I got past like a, a few levels. Here's, here's how I did it. Uh, now hopefully you don't die and yeah, <laughs> you, yeah. you go on further than I did. <laughs> that's that's kind of what it is. So, uh, Jake, uh, what, what's happening now next for you? I know you've been like writing a lot and, um, I don't know what you're writing. There's a bit of science fiction in there, but I also know you've got other things in the works. So what can you talk about now and when, when are things going to drop? Yeah, well, I'm doing a couple things. I am, I am also teaching sprint workshops. So as, as you know, cause yeah. you were, you were at one. And, yeah. uh, so people who are interested in that can go to the sprintbook.com and sign up. I have like a newsletter and I send out, um, stories about design sprints. And when I'm doing workshops, I send out little updates about those, but the, yeah, the main thing that I'm, I'm doing these days is writing. And so I have a new book coming out in September. And this is a book that I wrote with John Zaratsky, who's one of my co-authors from sprint, but it is not 
about it's not really a, it's not a sequel to sprint it's uh it's not a, about design or business it's a book about time about how to use time each day and it's it's about really how to how to make time for the things that are important how to kind of slow things down a bit so that we're able to um get more joy and satisfaction out of each day and how to make little adjustments to the ways that we use uh, technology, you know, the way we use our phones and the way we use the internet and, and the way we make decisions about uh, how to spend our time in the day so that we have, have more joy in our lives. And that's kind of the, the idea is to turn down the busyness a bit. So that book is called Make Time. And if you go to maketimebook.com, it's not up. It's not up as I'm speaking to you right now, (laughs) Ross, but hopefully by the time people are listening to this, because I'm supposed to make the website the next couple of days. Yeah, yeah. So now now I really have to. (laughs) Yeah. No, I've I've seen, you know, you you talk about, you know, does do you feel like it's the, the the personal companion to the work companion? You know that, that this is. The I work, think so. This is for play. Yeah, I do think that. I said it's not a sequel, but it is. It is definitely philosophically similar, and you will see. I mean, we talk in the book about our experience running sprints, which led us to. It gave us this opportunity to experiment with people's days. You know, like I mean, you think like over and over and over again, we were experimenting with what was going on, and and we could see like, oh, huh, it's interesting how when you take that away or you do that, people are people's their energy is better they're happier like they you know they just feel better because some of it is about getting work done and building products but a lot of it is just about what's a satisfying way to spend your time and that's a lot of those lessons we started to take to heart and try to apply to our own lives and we got in this kind of experimental mindset of what are small shifts that we can make and how do you sort of systematically put those shifts together into something that makes a lot of sense and so this book though rather than being like this very specific checklist of things that you have to do which is what sprint is and make time it's like a it's like a buffet there's like a there are a lot of different ideas in there and what i've found is that people who have been test readers of it have taken a few of those ideas that fit into their lives and and you know those things work for them but you don't have to take sort of the whole thing it's kind of you 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 can read our philosophy on it our take on it and then you just pick up a few of the things you apply them and it's sort of very low-key but I think um, I think there's some good stuff in there. So it'll be interesting to see awesome. how people react to that. It's not very smart. I think the smart thing to do is to write a book that builds on the one before and is really like the same audience. So I don't know. This is more of a self-help book, I guess. Awesome. But, uh, but yeah. And when when's that dropping? That's September 25th. Awesome. Yeah. So well, it's a ways away, but yeah, um, yeah. but the book is actually the book is actually written. It just takes that long to do all the stuff awesome. <laughs> to, for, to publish it. Cool. And you're and doing then, you're doing more workshops. Um, you know. Yeah. That that's that's yeah. awesome. Doing more workshops and also writing other stuff. So I'm also working on some fiction projects. I have one that's um, close to. F- finished and then another one that i'm just beginning that's science so i have sort of the the one that's almost finished is a it's a book like for 
for kids like a it's it's what you call a middle grade so ages 8 to 12 kind of a book kind of a, a fantasy adventure yeah. and then another book that I'm just starting that's like a science fiction book and I don't know what I'm doing writing fiction <laughs> I mean I really just kind of it's like it's really fun for me and I I enjoy right. you know we talked about hard work I enjoy doing something that's like really hard and beyond my capacity and trying to figure it out and so n- that is not the not necessarily the the wisest uh, path, you know, cause it's, again, it's like a different audience, it's different skills, but it feels right for my life right now to try to, um, challenge, you know, do something that's really hard. Awesome. Man. Uh, my, my daughter will, I'll, I'll pick it up for her and you know, okay, awesome. She'll, awesome. she'll give you the, 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 the an accurate review is, is Good. probably what yes. Yeah. But, well, um, you know, great. um, I don't know if you if you remember if you got this far, but there's a part in the Sprint book where I talk about Harry Potter. There's yes. a great story about Harry Potter, and um, I'll, I'll just tell it right now because it's I, I enjoy it so much. But I always forget to talk about it. The when Harry Potter came out, the um, well, when it, not when it came out, actually, sorry, before it was even, before uh, J.K. Rowling had finished even writing it, I think she had like 50 pages and she found an agent and their agent was trying to sell it to um, to publishers and nobody was interested in it. Yeah. And she, you know, the agent went around to everybody and nobody would, would take it. Nobody even, not only were people not interested in it, they wouldn't even read the whole thing. They didn't even request the rest of the book. Um, so these are all these people who are like supposedly, I mean, imagine, how much do you feel like you you had the first 50 pages of Harry Potter in your hands you're like well, I'm not even gonna read it like I don't even want the rest like yeah. that's just it's 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 so sad for those people but um, finally this this one guy gets it and he brings it home and he doesn't even read it but his he has a daughter who's like eight maybe eight or nine I can't remember and she picks it up and she goes up to her room and she reads it and um and she comes back down and she's like this is the best thing ever dad you've got to get the rest of this book and he's like and he didn't even do it and like she just kept nagging him she was like where's that harry potter book like i really want to read the rest of it and and then so finally he requested it and i don't know whether she had had to finish writing the rest of the book or not but at any rate like they first printed like I don't know, like 500 or a thousand copies. Like it was just like, it's such a case of like the customer, the actual customer being more of an expert than the experts. And this is one of the things we talk about in the sprint is like, you have to put your product in front of the real customer because no matter how much of an expert you are, you just don't know Mm. how they're going to react until it's, until it's out there in their hands. So anyway, yeah. yeah. So your, so your daughter will probably hate my book, but but she'll be honest and she's an expert. <laughs> awesome, Jake. Uh, look, thank you so much for spending your morning um, just just chatting with me and just yeah, telling a bit fun. more about, you know, what, what's happening. Uh, where can people find you, Jake? Oh, yeah. You can find me at, you go to jakenapp.com. You can find me on Twitter at Jake K. I don't tweet a lot, but when I do, they're really good. Actually, they're not. They're not even good, uh, but that's where, that's where I am online. Awesome, man. Well, thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Ross. So that was the end of episode one. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly learned a few new things. Jake believes anyone can pick up the book and run with it. Uh, I also learned that he's not a fan of icebreakers and I found out more about the new books that he's working on. I hope you enjoy the episode. Please let me know in the comments what you've thought about it, whether there are any improvements, whether it sucks and subscribe to find when the next episode is going to drop. I don't know who I'm going to interview, but hopefully someone just as good. Thank you very much and 
There we go. 